Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. Today is the Feast of the Ascension of the Lord, and it is a holy day of obligation, though they probably moved it to Sunday like they usually do. So get to Mass today if you can. Go. Now along those lines, though, today I have for you this. While today is the Feast of the Ascension of the Lord, it is also the 104th anniversary of the first apparition of Our Lady at Fatima. Yes, today is a Fatima anniversary, and the beginning of what I think of as the Fatima period on the liturgical calendar. Every month on the 13th until October 13th is an important day of the Fatima message. And to that end, I wanted to present something here. The good Archbishop had an interview recently that has been making the rounds after it was translated into English. And he talks about the necessity to cling to Our Lady in our times, and how that Our Lady leads the faithful out of error if they so desire it. This is tied to the Feast of the Ascension, the day where our blessed Lord returned to heaven in the most dramatic means possible. The two events, Fatima and the Ascension of Our Lord, are connected thematically. Today, let's consider this connection and the role Our Lady plays in helping us to navigate the uncertain waters of our times. One thing that comes to mind on the Feast of the Ascension is the reign of Christ the King. On this day, Our Lord set aside finally any ridiculous lingering doubts among the apostles that his reign would be worldly and any lingering doubt of his divinity. By ascending to heaven on the clouds right in front of their eyes, and it must have been an unimaginably remarkable sight, something that even overshadowed the incredible sight of the transfiguration of the Lord. I mean, imagine this. Christ, well, for lack of better words to describe it, was raised up into the air and ascended under his own power into the skies until he was out of sight, and it must have been incredible to behold. And a few short days later was the Feast of Pentecost, which this year is on May 23rd. For ten days the apostles would labor and mostly hide until that fateful night in the upper room when the tongues of fire would descend upon them and give unto them the gifts of the Holy Ghost needed to perform their duties. Pentecost is often thought of as the birthday of the church, and it would not have happened without the ascension. On May 13, 1917, the first apparition of Our Lady of Fatima occurred. On that day, the shepherd children reported seeing a woman brighter than the sun, shedding rays of light clearer and stronger than a crystal goblet filled with the most sparkling water and pierced by the burning rays of the sun. The woman wore a white mantle, edged with gold, and held a rosary in her hand. She asked them to devote themselves to the Holy Trinity and to pray the rosary every day, to bring peace to the world and an end to the conflict that was going on at the time. While the children had never told anyone about seeing the angel, Jacinta told her family about seeing the brightly lit woman. Lucia had earlier said that the three should keep this experience private. Jacinta's disbelieving mother told neighbors that it was a joke, and within a day, the whole village knew of the children's vision. In 1917, the Feast of the Ascension was on May 17th, and it was an uncomfortable feast day for sure that year, just a few short days later, due to the word of the children's experiences spreading among the villagers in Fatima. For today, in our time, it is worth reflecting on the authentic kingship of Christ and its reconnection to the Fatima message. Only the king can bring the heavenly peace that was promised at Fatima, and that hasn't happened yet, and it is the biggest indicator that the consecration of a certain country was never accomplished. Instead, what we have in the church today is something else entirely, the fruits of errors that have separated us from our own inheritance and the faith. One of the biggest losses in the church since the council has been Marian devotion. It is often poo-pooed from the hierarchy, with even popes since the council downplaying it. 
Francis at one point laughed about this and derided those who count rosary beads to paraphrase his own words. Yet the message of Fatima has some simple solutions to what we see. Seek sanctity and pray, including praying more rosaries. I know some don't like being reminded to pray more rosaries, but it is an essential part of the message of Fatima. On the topic of the loss of Marian devotions in this time, the good archbishop had a lot to say in a recent interview that he did with a European outlet, and it has been translated into English. In that interview, he spoke of the need to use the previous example of the Synod of Pistoia, which was a synod of the church that would later be eliminated and made illicit by an act of the papacy and the hierarchy. It was undone. The Archbishop states rather clearly that the Church should do the same with the Second Vatican Council. Now, for those who want to read a statement, I have it linked in the show notes at returntotradition.org as usual. But I want to zero in on one statement he makes here, which is that the adversaries of our Lord and the faith are opposed to Marian doctrines and dogmas, and that this is a clear pattern throughout the history of the Church. The good Archbishop says on this topic, and it is lengthy, quote, We unite heretics of all times in their rejection of veneration reserved for the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Marian doctrine it presupposes, and of which it is the liturgical expression. However, this is not surprising. Satan sees in the Mother of God she who in her son has crushed the head of the ancient serpent, she who in the course of history has defeated the assaults of hell against the church, and who at the end of time will achieve the final victory over the Antichrist and Satan. The Most Holy Trinity is pleased to share the work of redemption with Our Lady, to whom it has granted privileges that no creature has ever even been able to conceive of, the first of which is having preserved her from original sin and having preserved her purity intact before, during, and after the birth of our Savior. In Mary the New Eve, Satan sees the creature who triumphs over him, making reparation for the temptation and fall of Eve. This is why she is co-redemptrix, in union with Christ the New Adam. Filial devotion to the Blessed Mother is very difficult to eradicate among the Christian people. Even after the Protestant pseudo-reform and after the Anglican schism, devotion to the Virgin survived, to the point of requiring particular efforts to erase it. It is difficult to rip out love for the Heavenly Mother from the hearts of the simple when it is so spontaneous, natural, and comforting. I think of the cases of heretics who return to the womb of the Church thanks to devotion to Mary Most Holy, even if only because of one Hail Mary that their mother had taught them to say as little children. And this devotion is simple, humble, sweet, confident, and most pure. It does not decrease in those who are ignorant of the lofty peaks of theological doctrine, because it sees us as children and her as mother, beyond everything else, recognizing her as a savioress, the merciful one, the advocate, to whom we always have recourse, despite all of our faults, even when it frightens us to raise our gaze towards her divine Son, whom we have offended. Behold your mother. See John chapter 19, verse 26 to 27. This is why Satan hates the lady, as he calls her during exorcisms. He knows all too well that the power of Jesus Christ is not only in the least obscured by his mother, but rather is exalted by her, because while Satan's pride has sunk him into Gehenna, her humility has exalted her above all creatures, allowing her to carry in her womb the Son of God, whose incarnation, in which he assumed a human body, Lucifer could not tolerate. End quote. I want to interject here for a moment. What we're seeing is the Archbishop explain the title of co-redemptrix, something that, while never formally defined by the Church as of yet, had been taught by virtually all of the popes and great minds of the Church throughout its history, at least until Francis, who poo-pooed the whole thing in his usual manner. This teaching was never one that stirred trouble for the Church internally, as it had never been formally defined, but had been believed by the faithful, including by the great minds of the Church, 
And even so, there are some indications from insiders suggesting that John Paul II debated formally defining the dogma of the co-redemptrix during his papacy. Why he didn't do it, I'll never know. But let's continue with the archbishop, and here he describes the decline of Marian devotion and its effects in our time. Quote, The decline of Marian devotion after the council is only the latest expression, and I would say the most aberrant and troublemaking, of the aversion of Satan towards the Queen of Heaven. It is one of the signs that the assembly did not come from God, just as those who dare even to question the titles and merits of the Most Holy Virgin do not come from God. On the other hand, what son would allow his own mother to be put down in order to please his father's en enemies? And how much more serious is this abject complicity with heretics and others when the honor of the mother of God and our mother is at stake? The beloved of the Trinity, she has been chosen by God the Father as his daughter, by God the Son as his mother, and by God the Holy Spirit as his spouse. I believe that the gift of my conversion, of my becoming aware of the conciliar deception and the present apostasy, became possible thanks to my constant devotion towards the Blessed Mother, which I have never ceased to have. I carry the vivid memory of the recitation of the Holy Rosary ever since I was a child. The Blessed Crown of Our Lady, the Rosary, has always animated my prayer. It will be the Holy Virgin, with her heel, who will crush the infernal idols that infest and profane the church of her son. She is the one who will restore the regal crown to her son, ousted by his own ministers. She is the one who supports and protects the good in this hour of darkness. She is the one who implores the graces of conversion and repentance for sinners. End quote. The Archbishop may sound like he's giving a lot of credit to Our Lady for the coming fixing of everything wrong in the Church, but really he's not. Part of the message of Fatima was Our Lady's message to keep the five first Saturdays devotion. And that call was made for the Lady to keep that devotion which focuses on the five errors and insults made against Our Lady. I'll have a video on the five first Saturdays devotion as the recommended video at the end of this one. Each and every member of the faithful should keep the five first Saturdays devotion at least once in their lives. That is, we should all complete the devotion at least once in our lives. So look for that recommended video in a moment. I'll end with this with a thought from one of the great and forgotten minds of the late and early 20th century in the church, Father Dennis Fahey, where he says of the state of society, something that is directly linked to everything we've been talking about. Quote, when an organism perishes and corrupts, it is because it had ceased to be under the action of the causes which had given its form and constitution. To restore it to the flourishing state again, it is necessary to restore it to the vivifying action of those same causes. So society, in its foolhardy effort to escape from God, has rejected the divine order and revelation, and it is thus withdrawn from the salutary efficacy of Christianity, which is manifestly the most solid guarantee of order, the strongest bond of fraternity, and the inexhaustible source of all public and private virtue. This sacrilegious separation has resulted in bringing about that trouble which now disturbs the world. Hence it is the pale of the church which this lost society must reenter, if it wishes to recover its authenticity, its repose, and its salvation. Just as Christianity cannot penetrate into the soul without making it better, so it cannot enter into public life without establishing order. If it has transformed ancient society, so, after the terrible shocks which unbelief has given to the world in our days, it will be able to put that world again on the true road, and bring back to order the states and people of modern times. But the return of Christianity will not be efficacious and complete if it does not restore the world to a sincere love of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. 
in the Catholic Church, Christianity is incarnate. It identifies itself with that perfect spiritual and, in its own order, sovereign society, which is the mystical body of Jesus Christ, and which has for its visible head the Roman pontiff, successor of the Prince of the Apostles. It is a continuation of the mission of the Savior, the daughter and heiress of his redemption. End quote. The reign of Christ the King and the message of Fatima are inseparably linked. It is why it is appropriate when every few years these two days coincide with one another, as they do this year, in 2021. So consider the message of Fatima as we move through the Fatima period of the liturgical calendar. The consecration has not been fulfilled, and it may never be until we, the laity, do our parts, and keep the five first Saturdays devotion, and restore the veneration of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary into our homes, and until we pray the rosary with devotion in our lives and more of them. Until then, strive for sanctity and make these days count. Let me know your thoughts on this in the comments, please. Like, subscribe, hit that bell, because it actually does help. And you won't miss an update if you do. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.